0: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Blogbytes. It's me, Corval here. Uh, We're having a DeFi panel today on StarkNet. It's called Beyond the Shill, and I've got Jane from ZKLend and Rohit from JediSwap, two of the uh, most important protocols on StarkNet, and we're going to go over kind of what's going on over there, uh, because it hasn't been all daisies over on StarkNet. It's been a bit of a challenge, so... Uh, Let's get right into it, guys. Uh, Jane, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and ZKLend?
1: Yeah. Hi, Corval and hey, Rohit. Uh, Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. And I'm Jane. I'm one of the co-founders and co-project leads of ZKLend. And our core mission at ZKLend is to really offer a straightforward, secure, and efficient money market for users' liquidity needs on top of uh, ZK roll-up networks. And... Um, At its core, uh, ZKLend actually offers two products, ZKLend, which is a DeFi permissionless protocol that offers all users the ability to deposit their digital assets and earn a yield and use it as collateral to borrow, as well as ZKLend Institutional, which caters to, um, as the name suggests, Mm -hmm. institutions and give them access to uh, capital in an under collateralized manner. So at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to offer a straightforward, simple product that caters to all types of users, retail and institutional users alike.
0: Okay, cool. So under collateralized lending for institutions, over collateralized for retail users, uh, just providing liquidity, a very important, basic market need in the chain. All right, cool. Rohit, could you explain a little bit about Jedi Swap for us and, and kind of who you
2: are? Sure, yeah. Thanks a lot, first of all, Corwell, for having me here. Uh, So hey, uh, I'm Rohit. Uh, You can consider me, like I I consider myself as a builder, just building into different things from, started from uh, e-commerce grocery venture to uh, a gaming studio and then landed up to the crypto ecosystem uh, at the start of 2017. And uh, currently I'm building Jedi Swap and Jedi Swap, we describe more as a community. So it's a community uh, on a mission to bring Web3 or particularly DeFi at the moment to accessible to everyone in the world. And to do that, we are right now building an AMM on StockNet uh, and, and that's the product you see when you open Jedi Swap and uh, uh, basically, we have been live on Starknet since last year, November 30th, and uh, uh, so far, swap has uh, more than 50% of the DeFi market cap on Starknet, and we are just trying to push for um, the user, better user experience, cheaper transaction fees, and smooth uh, onboarding for for rest of the ecosystem to Web3. Awesome. Very cool. So as you guys can see,
0: we've got the two pillars of a DeFi community here on StarkNet. Rohit, that sounds pretty uh, pretty broad too. You guys got, seem to have a, a lot of things in the works. You said gaming, all kinds of stuff. Really cool, man. Well, I, I want to thank you both for being here. Uh, I don't know if I did that at the top. It was kind of rude to me. <laughs> I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, So let's kind of like explore a little bit more of like the broader narrative here of like essentially what is StarkNet, like why StarkNet, what's going on over there. Um, So for those that don't know, StarkNet is a decentralized validity rollup, ZK rollup. It operates as a layer two over Ethereum and uses ZK Stark technology, right? Which as I understand it is a little bit different than just a regular like polygon ZK rollup. But the kind of situation on starknet isn't super like amazing right now from my understanding uh fees are really high compared to other zk rollups uh throughput is a lot lower kind of it's not super sexy right now it's not really winning in the zk war so uh i, I kind of want to get your perspective on it but first off like why did you choose starknet uh rohi if
2: you would like to go first Sure. So uh, for us, we actually didn't start with Starknet. We started with Ethereum. Mm -hmm. But first of all, like as I mentioned, we started with the basic principle in mind that our mission is to make uh, Web3 accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. And in that journey, we started with Ethereum. We first thought that, uh, okay, like we have all these DeFi applications, we have uh, yield applications and all of that. But still it is, these are accessible to only a couple of million users at top. Mm -hmm. So maybe the reason more people are not using it is because of user experience. So that's the thesis we started it with. uh, And for that, we built something on top of Ethereum, which was a yield protocol, but uh, just giving three simple options based on risk reward uh, perspective to the end user. So, but with that, we uh, learned that uh, actually user experience is not the bottleneck because it still costs users a lot of money to deposit Mm -hmm. and people want to deposit small amounts, $100, even $1,000. And for that, it didn't make sense to pay for Ethereum gas fees. Like even if you assume you will get 5% yield on something like, uh, you'll end up paying something on the gas fees, which... You will take a year to just compensate just for the gas fees you will be paying i see so that with that we moved to polygon uh that was around first quarter of 2021 mm-hmm. uh, and we built the same product we launched the same product on polygon which was just the proof of stake network at that point of time with that we realized that uh okay we solved the cost problem but then it uh, brought the same problem again, which is the network is handled by few tens or hundreds of people at max. So mm-hmm. you again went back to the the, the centralization of the ecosystem part. Uh, and with that, we got uh, started exploring the roll-up ecosystem. And then we started building something on Arbitrum. Uh, and while we were building on Arbitrum, we thought, okay, like roll-ups are the way to go. This is kind of the best trade-off with scalability and, and the security. And while we were building that, at, at that same point of time, Vitalik launched the post end game, which was about ZK rollups. That's where I first heard about ZK rollups, or I first got exposed to ZK rollups. And that post made a lot of sense, and we just started digging deeper into the whole, uh, you can say rabbit hole of ZK rollups. And that's that was the time when Starknet also kind of uh, announced that they just launched their testnet, uh, which was, I think, around June 2021 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, got connected to the Starkware team, spoke to them, really loved the team like that was the first bet we took because uh, I, I think there were primarily two teams tackling the problem at that point of time, which was at least popular ZK Sync and Starknet. I just felt like something different while talking to the Starkware team, especially with their background, uh, like Ellie's background on founding, uh, being a founding engineer at Zcash, which was basically the first cryptocurrency using using the zero knowledge technology. So uh, we loved the approach how they were building it, and uh, we, we thought like EVM actually is not the end game. The end game is building something that will be useful for newer kind of applications, be it gaming, social applications, machine learning, and all of that. And we thought stockware was much more better placed in in, in those perspective. And we realized, like, if, if somebody built, keeping that in mind, then the ecosystem overall will be much larger. And being a leading dApp for that ecosystem, being a, a, a DeFi app for that ecosystem will be, a better bet you will be able to onboard much more people compared mm-hmm. to if you build for evm and and that's how we took a bet on starknet okay so if i'm understanding correctly you kind of went with starknet
0: because you liked the team and you liked kind of the broad approach that you could take on starknet almost like a uh, fertile ground kind of empty space kind of like you build whatever you like and you went DeFi because it's kind of the best entryway Uh, in this space at the moment, if I'm understanding, Rohit, Cool. cool. And Jane, you know, I got to know, why did ZK Len build StarkNet?
2: uh, Yeah, I mean, I
1: think Rohit covered a lot of really great points. Um, Mm -hmm. For us, we actually decided to build on StarkNet at the very beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. We... We as a team got together at some point in 2021. Um and having kind of read through Endgame by Vitalik, we knew that ZK rollups would be the future of Ethereum scaling. Um I think I will caveat it with the fact that I think vitalik said it would take a long time before ZK rollups would really uh technology would really be developed uh to the point where users would be able to use it uh seamlessly and I think um and I and I think that's still kind of true, right? If you look at kind of optimistic rollups and and their roadmap and, and a lot of the zk rollup networks, um, you know, it requires a lot of patience and potentially with Starknet even more patience. Yeah. But when we went into this whole zk rollup um, narrative, we already knew that we would be building for the long term. It wouldn't be something where we would launch a product in a year. It might take two to three years, and we made the cons- conscious decision to go for it. Um, I think specifically why StarkNet over other ZK roll networks, I'm going to be very honest, at the time there were only two uh, okay. like real contenders. There was ZK Sync and oh. there was Stark, StarkWare uh, that was building StarkNet. Um, and I think specifically for um, StarkNet, we saw two angles. The first angle is, um, as Rohit mentioned, obviously the... Um, the, the reputation of the team has been very strong, given kind of Ellie's background in cryptography and having done Zcash. But for me, actually, what I loved most was the StarkX engine. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm a D-gen, right? Like I use DYDX and I've um, I've really enjoyed kind of the whole process of being able to deposit like $500 um, mm-hmm. and, and, and trade perps. And you know, I, I didn't even know that like the engine was Stark X when I was using DYDX at the beginning. And oh. and truly, that's the first narrative of rollups uh, in my mind that really came about before this whole optimistic and zk rollup like narrative was was around. I actually was like a user of DYDX, and I didn't even know I was taking advantage of zk or validity rollup technology. And I I saw I guess firsthand how powerful that is. Um, and seeing that like Starknet is trying to flip the narrative a little bit, so instead of using StarkX and like working with different protocols to have kind of individual siloed scaling engines, they were trying to bring a general composable network uh, where dApps would have to would, would be able to build, I guess, without customization or support from the Starkware team in a way that made it made StarkX extremely hard to scale. So for us, it just, it made sense. Um, And I will slip in another um, narrative, which is Starknet is written in Cairo. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure um, you guys have kind of heard that Cairo was not exactly the most friendly language, especially Cairo. Um, And so I think in some ways, Cairo attracts a lot of um, tenacious builders, for lack of a better word. So builders were not deterred easily by challenges, and I think it's a very special class of developers—people uh, who want to like build games on chain, for example, or like people who who want to learn a new language and actually like build libraries for it. And our CTO John is exactly one of those guys. Um, and so for <laughs> him, he was like, you know what? This is hard. It's I hate it, but like I love it because I'm going to be one of the first ones that gets really good at it. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a selfish reason. But I think mm-hmm. we really saw kind of our angle there um, and, and a competitive advantage, uh, because we know that we're going to be one of the faster teams to be able to deliver a lending protocol. And I think being first does pay.
0: Oh, yeah, fantastic. Okay, cool. So, I'm seeing a little similarity here in that it seems like people that build on the Starknet like a little bit of that pioneering, uh, being able to be the first to build on Cairo, being able to have kind of like that open field, not a lot of competition on Starknet. But, yeah, I, I didn't know that about Dydex, DYDX, uh, the StarkX was built off of it. That's kind of cool. So, also the <laughs> of tech, I feel like no know. one
1: actually knows that until like <laughs> people bring it up, and that's yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. All right, cool man. I, I mean, that's like that's a pretty strong case to build on there. I mean, you can't be kind of a uh, soft card. It can't be kind of like a weak though. <laughs> like you're saying you got to be brave <laughs> enough to learn Cairo and <laughs> committed enough. Um, but I mean, I guess that kind of touches on some of the issues I think that Starknet's facing in, t- in terms of like um uptake. Like it's it's kind of a barrier to entry, right? Like Cairo is difficult. I mean, I'm not a big programmer. I dabble, you know, I'll make like a web page. But I've seen the memes, you know, like uh, launching something with like Rossi, Control-C, Control-V, C, control launching something with Cairo. It's like launching a spaceship, you know. Um, <laughs> but let's talk a little about the issues of StarkNet. I mean, we named this episode Beyond the Shill. So let's kind of get a little real here. What, what difficulties have you guys faced? Uh, and uh, Jane, I'll, I'll start off with you. I mean, you kind of got on a roll there. Let's go. Uh, what what kind of issues have you been facing uh, building on StarkNet?
1: Yeah, I guess I'll split it up into three parts. I think first is just the the fundamental um, selling point of StarkNet, right? StarkNet Mm -hmm. rollups are supposed to be a scalability engine. And at this point in time, um, it's really difficult for StarkNet to scale. We see um, pretty low TPS, very high transaction times. At times, transactions are not even getting accepted because there is such a large backlog. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, because uh, fees for StarkNet uh, consists of, I guess, um, two parts, uh, one of which uh, is, I guess, the the L1 part. So when L1 gas fees are extremely high, uh, StarkNet gas fees are also very high. Um, that's mm-hmm. until we introduce volition, which is the mm-hmm. option to uh, actually store your data on chain on L1 or to be able to do it elsewhere on off chain. Interesting. Um, but- before this is implemented, um, just, to, just to keep it very simple, um, Starknet's gas fees are inherently tied to L1 gas fees. So as we kind of saw with the whole like Pepe mania, like uh, two months ago, yeah. uh, like my transaction fees on Starknet was like seven bucks, which is like, I guess, super low compared to Ethereum still. But like, it's unheard of when it comes to roll up technology. Um, when I transact on Optimism or Arbitrum, I'm, I'm talking like 10 cents, maybe yeah. even less remember. It's so negligible, I don't even remember. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's problem number one. And um, just to be super long winded, I think the fundamental kind of issue that people have to wrap their heads around is that Starknet's building everything from scratch. Um, so on the one hand, they have all this theory around, you know, like scalability and like prover machines, sequencers and how to build the components. And um, you know, these guys, the Starkware team, they're scientists, right? Like they're 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 scientists that are very theoretical. But when it comes to the actual implementation of things and how to properly code and build these machines that make up the network, that's a whole nother story. Um. And so, you know, in theory, you know, like validity rollups can fit a ton of transactions, and then you bring it to the prover, and then you have things like recursion, which allows for like parallel, um, I guess like yeah. Parallel proofs, um, I guess, for Stark, where it, it, it still comes down to the fact that, like, are the machines optimized in a way that can maximize the potential that has been kind of like communicated in theory? Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think um, they've really made it a priority this year, especially the first half of this year to rewrite a lot of components, such as the sequencer, um, the prover, as well as um, coming up with new um I think uh, the papyrus, which is the no, new node client implementation, so they're rebuilding all the parts. But again, it takes time, so um, these kind of these kind of um, new builds are not exactly reflected right away. But we are expecting some of the performance <laughs> to come around in zero point twelve, which should happen in like a month or two. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. And, and just to be like long-winded, I'm gonna keep going. Just on DeFi. Hey, go for um, it. <laughs> yeah. Um Sorry, Rohit, I'm, 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 I'm exhausting all the options. <laughs> mm.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have to speak less. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah. I think the other part is just like, um, you know defi is an ecosystem so you know we're really really lucky to have jedi swap where they are the leading amm on starknet um, and people we we always tell people what are you going to do with starknet i don't know like swap some stuff on jedi swap and then come to zk Land and deposit those assets <laughs> the whole point is like you're supposed to be able to do a couple of things on the ecosystem not just like mm-hmm. one thing stand alone because it doesn't give users the re- reason to use our protocol then and I think mm-hmm. we are still very much lacking in that sense. Uh, we have an AMM, we have lending markets, uh, perps, not exactly yet. I know that uh, there are a couple on Testnet, um, even like DeFi aggregators or like yield farming tools. Like these are all parts that are missing right now. And it doesn't really give users a reason to come onto Starknet. So that's kind of the second part that I uh, struggle with. Uh, mm-hmm. But with that, I will pause right here.
0: Okay. I mean, that was a lot to chew on, but I think that was pretty good. I think uh, what I'm taking away, Jane, from what you just said is, um, one, the team, one of the things that seems to have drawn you guys to, to StarkNet is that it's, uh, it is kind of like theoretical, right? Like there, there's a lot of like new ideas being presented, but the problem with that is that the implementation of theoretical ideas is often very difficult. Uh, to be practical right like we can design a better wheel but is it like like worth the, the investment effort maybe like is the return that much better um and then secondly you know there's not a big draw like a specific project draw that's like unique enough to pull people into the ecosystem right like when you think of like arbitrum you know you used i don't remember the, the, you used the fuck what was it <laughs> what do you use on arbitrum GMX, that's it. Use the GMX, yeah. Use GMX because it was like the one place you could do that, right? That's why I would go to, to Arbitrum, and it seems like Starknet's kind of missing that like centerpiece. Like I'll go there just to use this specific thing. um But anyway, I'll, I'll toss it to Rohit too. If the, if you got anything for me, Rohit, on on the difficulties you've been experiencing building on on Starknet.
2: Uh, usually, it is very hard for me to be bearish about anything crypto. <laughs> uh, so, so I'll I'll try to tweak my answer in a way that I'm going to share the things which I am bearish in the short term, but like that's exactly what makes me bullish in the long term. Oh, that's what uh, I got. Some... And I'm
0: feeling bummed out lately <laughs> on crypto. So you
2: gotta <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. And I, I think some of the things uh, Jane covered very well. Uh, and one of the things like we have been pretty frustrated about is the transaction throughput, uh, and and specifically like the time it takes for a transaction to get confirmed on 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 the network on the Starknet mm-hmm. network. So sometimes it takes, uh, it, it's it's not unusual to wait 10 minutes to even 15 minutes sometime to just see your transaction getting confirmed. And then like, in in, in that meanwhile, like you are, you, as a user, you have this anxiety, right? That uh, I'm not sure whether this will go through or not. So I just have to keep checking my transaction throughout whether it went through or not, because I might have a secondary action to complete after mm-hmm. that. Or or I just want to be assured, like I, I got the ETH, I wanted to trade for my USDC or whatever. Oh yeah. Uh so that has kind of uh stopped us in growing much faster than compared to like how we have been growing, which is already faster, by the way. Like I'm totally happy with that. Uh but at the same time, what I'm bullish on is the uh the 0.12 stock net, which is coming as Jen mentioned, uh, probably like in a month, mm-hmm. maybe two months max. So you cannot like <laughs> rely on the timelines. Like it's it's hard to always commit on these timelines. But with that, uh, there is a potential for these transaction times to. There are no benchmarking numbers, but the expectation for it to come down to like a minute, maybe like seconds, some couple of seconds as well. So that itself will bring the experience at such a level that user can actually use the network in in more utility way. Right now, it's mm-hmm. it's more as Jen mentioned, like just do a swap, maybe add liquidity to a lending protocol. But like things like that will enable more wider use cases. So that is, that is something that like I'm really uh, bullish about, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, the numbers I've seen looks promising. So like. We are seeing numbers in the range of 100 TPS, uh, which will put Starknet at the top. If, if you check L2Beat, that, that's what I track for mm-hmm. uh, tracking how much activity is going on any any of the network. So 100 Sorry, TPS MGs? is like uh, L2Beat. Oh. Uh, I think they have the most amazing dashboard to track any activity related to L2, specifically uh, like how, how much is the TPS, what is the TVL, et cetera. Awesome. Uh, I use DeFi Llama so I'm always interested in a new tool. <laughs> I know yeah, new so L- product, too. L2Beat is very specific to Layer 2s, so that's the that's a good mm-hmm. part. And they have a very interesting team as well, like a bunch of geeks playing around with stuff. And I, I think they recently announced they are, spin, they are coming up with some new products, some new dashboards as well, which are going to give you even more insights into the roll-up world. Sweet. Uh, but yeah. Uh, with this 100 TPS, that's going to be the max TPS. Uh, that does not mean you will always see that much TPS because uh, it is also a function of demand. If mm-hmm. if you just have 50 transactions per second, then you will get 50 TPS. Uh, but the, that should increase the experience a bit more. The second thing uh, which I have been bearish on in the short term is the fees. Uh, again, Jen mentioned about this. Uh, but like uh, again, if you'll check on L2B, you will see the fees are really good today. Uh, it is costing twenty cents for a swap, which is not really bad, which is uh, comparable to to Arbitrum or Optimism. Uh, that that doesn't stay the same; like it it fluctuates. Uh, uh, so so like it, it won't be like maybe like tomorrow fees can come back to one dollar, like which is what it was on an average through most of the last few months. Uh, but with Volition, which is the next upgrade after 0.12, so 0.13, that fees will go down by 100x. So that's going Ooh. to be the second order effect, and this will uh, enable you to create experiences like Binance. Basically, like once you uh, create something like that, then the only reason you use Binance is that it's just easy to use. Like we are just used to of having that experience, and then that is solved by account abstraction. That you just come, you put down your email ID, you have your non-custodial wallet, and you can just seamlessly use uh, your DeFi application anywhere. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, it is going to be even smoother than like any centralized exchange because you don't have to uh, do like lot of processes. You just created the account, you just use the email to create the account, and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Like there was no uh, creation of uh, like different different kind of things like KYCs or or different kind of steps so as you combine these three things which is like this tps these fees and this uh, user experience that gives you uh, capable enough network which can handle hundreds of millions of users after that the only thing which requires you to bring a billion users is not finance but different applications because uh, like if if you'll just interact with Fifty of or hundred of your friends, you will feel like finance is really boring. Nobody <laughs> yeah. really, really want to interact with finance. Uh, but people like to play games. We like to spend time on social applications. So mm-hmm. you need those kind of applications to really bring the next set of users, which is uh, I believe will, uh, will get into production level. It will start coming into the production level with the layer three uh, approach Starknet has. And with that, like the DeFi, which is built on top of Starknet, will be integral part of that. Like if if you are using, let's say, social network uh, built on layer three on top of Starknet, they might have subscription kind of creator economy or things like that. So the payments could be powered by or the swap in that could be powered by, let's say, Jedi swap or lending in those things could be powered by uh, the land uh similarly like there, there will be games games will require a lot of asset economy so that will be integrated mm-hmm. with with all these defi built on starnet so okay. that's my bearish to uh, bullish view in a sense
0: interesting yeah you kind of folded them both in together because you gave me a pretty nice vision too of where you think it's going i like that uh that that finance is kind of like the <laughs> undergirding layer i like that it could support a lot of things built on top of it. But first we got to get that hundred TPS first, right? It's kind of difficult to do any kind of complex, even financial transaction if it's failing partway through. Um, interesting. So we're pretty, we're actually kind of bullish midterm then, right? We're thinking this is actually going to turn around pretty quickly. Cause um, my last question for both of you is, is what do you think the future of start looks like? And, and you know, if i was a real pessimist i might say maybe it's too late maybe is is it a dollar short day late you know uh these upgrades coming through but uh it seems like you guys have some some pretty strong visions for where you think starknet can go and it's still pretty positive um jane do do you do you have anything you want to throw in for what do you think the future of starknet looks like anything we might not have already covered
1: yeah i think um We've covered a lot of it. We haven't actually spent a lot of time on account abstraction, Mm -hmm. um, but recently um, Vitalik's post, um, he he kind of came Mm -hmm. out with three, I think it's called the three transitions. Um, Mm -hmm. First is users uh, migrating onto roll-up technology on L2, which I think is already happening. Um, And the second is adoption of smart contract accounts, which in other words means account abstraction. So users are able to interact on the blockchain in a customized way. Um, for example, maybe Jedi Swap or ZKLen would actually pay for gas for the user. Or um, transactions that are under $100 might not require um, like a, a, a ledger signature um, because, because it, it's kind of annoying to have to grab my ledger and plug it in every time I make like a $2 transaction, for example. Mm-hmm. These are all things that I think StarkNet is already quite ahead, especially in the realm of account abstraction. I think they're actually like one of the first networks to really adopt it, um, not on a protocol level, but on a network level. Um, And that does make a lot of difference. Um, But I think the third bit is um, privacy. And this is quite important for us at CKLEN because... um, you know, I, I do think that one of the biggest drawbacks on the blockchain is that, at least on public blockchains, is that everything is transparent. So, um, you know, it's it's not that I feel I have anything to hide, but generally, like, when it comes to your finances and your bank accounts, it's not necessarily something that you want to show to everyone. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want Bruit to know how much I've got in my bank account. <laughs> um,
0: yeah no for <laughs> sure you don't want to know what, how many coffees you buy a day Anything? i want to see your bags <laughs> yeah yeah you don't
1: want to know how many shit coins i bought you know yeah, Sorry. how big
0: you are on pepe yeah
1: yeah yeah down bad <laughs> sir um but,
0: join the club think- you know <laughs>
1: Yeah. But I think um, fundamentally, this becomes even more important as we incorporate institutions into the mix, because institutions are making large trades and that could influence markets. Um, And so I do think that if we were to incorporate institutional adoption, whether it's in lending markets or swapping or in any kind of form um, on a public blockchain, we do require uh, zk technology to help kind of verify um, information, but not reveal exactly the information that is inside. And that's exactly what uh, zk technology does. On the one hand, it provides scalability, which is what Starknet mm-hmm. is doing. But on the other hand, you have the likes of Aztec and um, I'm trying to think of who else. I'm blanking, but you have other networks that are that are providing. Um, security using ZK rollups. And so I think I'm really bullish on the third part. And I I do think it's gonna take time, Um, whether it's gonna come in the form of layer threes on StarkNet or on a a different L2 altogether, it's gonna come. And I think StarkNet, because they're rebuilding all these components, it's gonna be very well set up to adapt this change rather than have new networks build from scratch. but I, I am a little more bearish than Rohit in that I do think something like this is probably one to two years away.
0: Okay, okay. Yeah, that was that was going to be my follow-up question is like, how long do you think this is going to take like uh, <laughs> to catch up? Because that is a lot of, there's a lot of infrastructure and a lot of like very basic things that still need to be built out on StarkNet, right? Some basic yeah. tooling. Um, so interesting though, the account abstraction already being primed, that is a big one though. Account abstraction is a pretty huge deal. Uh, for my understanding, I'm pretty excited for it. Uh, but let's, uh, let, we got, we just want to get Rohit's opinion on this too. Uh, Cause we're, I'm, I'm <laughs> uh, Rohit. So, w- what do you think the future of Starknet is looking like? You gave me a lot of it, a pretty good stuff too, where you're talking about, <laughs> Bill, I want to hear more of that. You know, I was loving that, Jeez.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I guess like a uh, couple of more interesting things, uh, which I think StartNet is doing pretty far ahead uh, is like, for example, there are already multiple teams building provers. So there are going to be multiple types of prover within Starknet ecosystem. Uh, If you want to make a comparable, like it's pretty similar to like having multiple clients for Ethereum. So Mm -hmm. that pushes for decentralization. Uh, I I don't see any other network where this is happening, where I'm aware of three different provers right now in works one is created by Starkware itself one is done by lambda class one is an open source community driven project madara and uh, they all are going to open much more possibilities uh, it's, it's going to be open source provers it will also give diversification of the prover side so that is uh th- that is i think like will happen much later in in the rest of the ecosystem in in, in the other other networks uh, second, as as uh, Jen mentioned on the privacy part, so like f- privacy is not just important for like financial primitives, uh, or not just uh, like from the sensitive sensitivity perspective, but even from usability perspective. For an example, if you imagine playing a game of poker, which is somehow integrated in into the Web three ecosystem, in, into this, like. You get your cards. You don't want to show your cards to the other player, right? And mm-hmm. if, if you deploy the information on chain, then that's basically public. Anyone can see that. So the only way to create something like that is by having client side verification uh, and and having a centralized prover. So I only create a proof and send it to the centralized uh, server, and that server pass on the proof to the other player and that player's device automatically verifies, okay, uh, this guy did the right turn without even revealing like what cards I had. So this, this is a primitive. This, uh, for something like that to happen, uh, The if, if you want to do it in an EVM compatible way, like how you will do it is you will write down all your logic into the solidity part, but then you have to learn Surcom, which is a completely new language, to write down all your ZK, the ZK proof logic. And like for something like games, the code base becomes really, really large. This starts getting very complex. First, you are already learning a new, new language and now you are managing two different code bases for the same project. So Cairo gives you advantage. You can do all of that within one single language. So uh, right now people have misunderstanding. They think that they have to learn a new language, Cairo. But that's actually an advantage, because you just have to learn one single language to create your whole application. It's just that if you are thinking about creating an AMM, that's when like, it might be a hindrance that, OK, you could have wrote your AMM in Solidity, which for which the code was already available. But if you are creating something new, which might require uh, you to create proofs and verify those proofs on client side, uh, Cairo becomes really, really, really powerful so i think uh, again starknet is much ahead from that perspective this will enable like this new uh, ecosystem of projects this the, the whole new category defining uh, thing in in web3 and which is what i said like will bring the next billion users not the financial applications probably uh, and and that's what i think uh, is going to be the future of starknet where there are going to be multiple different applications working as layer 3 settling on uh, Starting it as layer two for for the proofs, and then settling on to layer one for the economic security. Interesting,
0: very cool. So so Cairo is kind of a tough pill to swallow, but you're better off for taking it. Is what I'm getting right? Like you can build yeah. much more sophisticated applications, the kind of things that people really want to start seeing on blockchains. Because uh, while people love the DeFi stuff, I feel like they're kind of getting kind of like, where's 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 other things I can actually do. <laughs> Yeah, uh, or some more games that are less Pokemon, maybe less Pokemon inspired games. Very cool. All right, guys. So I think we got a pretty good high level overview of Starknet. How you guys are feeling about Starknet? Bullish, right? We're feeling like it's still we're still in the, we're still in this fight. Starknet's still here. <laughs> uh, let's let's delve a little bit more into you guys y'all's specific projects. Um, so Jedi Swap, ZK Lend. Let's start with. I think we should start with Jedi Swap because uh, the DEX, I, in my heart, the DEX is always the fundamental of the DeFi, DeFi system. So, Rohit, could you tell me a little bit more specifically about Jedi Swap? Like, do, What do you guys do different? What's special about Jedi Swap? Where do you see it going?
2: Cool. So let me start breaking your heart first because okay. the first thing when we talk about Jedi Swap, we don't talk about the AMM. Mm -hmm. uh we talk about how 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 jedi swap works so the real innovation we are pushing towards is so in jedi swap there is no employee there is no company it's all run by a community so it's a community driven organization it's a self-operating organization so in a way we are creating a new way of work of organization framework where you can create a bottom-up work organization instead of a top-down where uh so if if you think about a company, it starts with four, three couple of friends coming together with an idea, getting some capital, uh like seed capital, building prototype, raise more capital, and then eventually go out to the users. Uh in in case of Jariswa, we started with okay, like let's start with the mission, like mission and values. This is what we are aligned with. we believe in transparency, we believe in fairness, we believe in equal access. So let's collect all people, everyone like who believe in these values and who want to then bring Web3 to the next billion people. So this help us bring this right set of minds uh, together in into a framework and then we start coordinating, okay, how do we achieve our mission, like the mission of reaching to a billion users. Uh, and that's how JediSwap actually started, as I shared, like it started Building a yield protocol on Ethereum and eventually led down to building an AMM on on Starknet. So from the product perspective, uh, it's it's an AMM. It's pretty similar to Uniswap today, and uh, we we are working on continuous improvement. There will be future versions of swap which will have features like concentrated liquidity and uh, different dynamic fee tier pools, and like maybe even better at at some point of time. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, like, that—that that, that's about it. Like, um, I guess, like, AMM is pretty straightforward to understand. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. I'm kind of curious what you mean by community run, though. So kind of like a DAO, but but from the ground up, like, it wasn't originally like a in-group that didn't decentralize. You guys just brought it together, decentralized. I mean, exactly. there, there had to be some kind of driving, organizing force at the center of it, though, correct?
2: Yes. So, uh, like, you need leaders, that does Mm -hmm. not mean you need to have a top down approach. So leaders can be found within a set of group of people leaders are people basically who are just leading things. And you will find like even a crowd of 100 there will be five people who will take accountability, who will like lead other people who will show the direction. Mm -hmm. So that those people organically show up in a community way when you are trying to achieve a mission. So that's how we find leaders. So there are leaders in in JediSwap. You can call me one as well. And we have these mimetic terms uh, which follows the Star Wars theme like (laughs) Padwans. It starts with Padwan. Anyone joins, they are a Mm Padwan. And then they rank to uh, Knights. So like we use this (laughs) okay, the chlorian right. count is high for you. And how you define chlorian count is like, you actually truly believe in transparency, you are, you are trying to build in public, uh, you are pushing the boundaries. And then you become a master if you are also teaching these, these ethos, these values to other community members. So that's, that's the kind of setup we have. So it's, it's like from part one to a journey of becoming a master. And not everyone has to be a master, you can be pretty happy with however you want to contribute, be it five minutes of your time in a month or 50 hours in a month
0: that's kind of awesome so you guys have like a jedi council
2: yes okay cool
1: Rohit, yes. sorry to jump in can you remind us of your title again
2: uh, yeah it's it's we call it grandmaster but Ooh. again like it's it just it's just the meme It just becomes... oh,
0: yeah dude i've never been on a call with a grandmaster that's pretty cool i'm,
2: I'm sure someday uh, grandmaster will retire and there will be some other grandmaster
0: <laughs> no way, man. There's only one. Dude, uh so yeah, I did see that there's a Sith swap on uh on on um Starknet too, is and and you guys have pretty much defeated them, uh, from what I could tell. Uh <laughs> but that's pretty cool. Are they are they the malcontents from from Jedi Swap, the one that's front found Sith swap, or is it just a something uh something totally <laughs> a little fun?
2: Yeah, I I I am I'm sure like they are on the same side. They are also on the Stark side. <laughs> so yeah, all right, cool, we cool. are all playing for the same thing. Uh we just we just think like when you make people part of the building, mm-hmm. that's when probably you can build the best web three products and that's how probably you can also onboard the people in the best way because uh onboarding people to Web3 is not just about using a DeFi application. It's also about knowing these things, like why it matters, like you are using something which is not controlled by an institution or a centralized entity or a government. It's decentralized. So when you build with with the community, like you end up uh, learning these things. And as a result, you are able to help others also learn these things. So we think like we are able to best create our impact in this way.
0: Okay. Awesome. Really cool. And uh, just a quick refresher, just so we can make sure that we, we tag it really well. What kind of things can we look forward to as we see uh, maybe 0.12 roll out? Um, so that those 100 TPS. So we're going to see some more sophisticated building out of Jedi swaps, some more complex things built on top.
2: Yeah, so uh, from Jedi Swap's on roadmap perspective, the... The next milestone is migrating our code base to Cairo one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so that will, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much it will save in terms of gas costs, uh, but like technically probably it, it should save in terms of gas costs, but eventually like it will lead us to have a smooth experience with the overall starknet ecosystem because everyone will be moving to Cairo one. Uh, our next milestone will be Jedi swap uh, version two which so JediSwap Swap uh, migration to Cairo one we are looking within one month. Uh, Jarai Swap version two, which will enable concentrated liquidity, dynamic fees, and all of these advanced features, that we are looking anywhere from two to three months from today, depending on how uh, Cairo one upgrade itself comes out. Because the the Cairo one upgrades are still coming out, there are still syntax changes, etc. And with that, we will start seeing more primitives coming on top of it as well. There are already more than 25 to 30 plus teams building on top of JISwap, different different kind of primitives, uh, including yield aggregators or like AMM aggregators or creating tranching-based uh, uh, tools, et cetera. Okay, cool, cool. And so that's on the DeFi side. And on the on the community side, we are also working on creating these tools. So ultimately, we want to... Uh, publish these organization framework we are creating for other communities to adopt as well and creating tools to make uh, make this coordination easy because obviously there is no tooling for something like that you Mm -hmm. for an example you have slack um, if if you are running as a company here you have discord but discord was not designed in a way for an organization Mm -hmm. Uh, so there are like missing pieces similarly like Uh, You have this whole financial ecosystem, how you pay salaries to the employees, et cetera. So we are trying to work out ways using which you can, like anyone can work for any amount of hours they want and they can pick their own salaries. So we are building primitives for things like that as well.
0: Okay, really cool. So one thing I didn't hear though
2: is games, Uh, any games on the horizon? (laughs) <laughs> What's the first game, man? <laughs> I, I I think there are much smarter teams uh, okay, for games and Startnet. Like, shout out to uh, Realms and uh, Dojo Engine, uh, Dope Wars, uh, and Brick. Uh, all these guys are doing amazing things.
0: Okay, really cool. Thanks, Rohit. I appreciate it, man. Uh, lots of interesting things coming, it sounds like. The CLMM is going to be pretty big. That seems to be the hot narrative for probably the next couple months. <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's hop over to ZK Len. Jane, could you tell me a little bit more about specifically ZK Len and what we can look forward to there?
1: Yeah, so, um, yeah, (laughs) it's hard to top Rohit's line of We are not actually an AMM, we are a community,
0: (laughs) yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, but for us at ZK Lend, as our name suggests, you know, we are focused on lending markets, um, specifically on StarkNet. And there are actually two angles to it, I would say. Um, First is just um, given mine, as well as my co-founder Brian's background in traditional finance, we believe that lending markets or money markets the surface is only getting scratched right now. If you look at traditional lending protocols like Aave, Compound, and even ZK Lend, we are offering um, variable interest rates at a variable term. So users are able to withdraw their funds or deposit and borrow whatever they want to. Mm-hmm. And while in theory, this actually works great, um, there are a lot of traditional instruments in traditional finance that have not been brought over onto DeFi yet. Um, and what I mean by this is, um, Fixed term loans, under collateralized loans. These are all huge markets. In fact, um, I, I would argue they're on par with money markets um, that have not been explored. So um, I think, on the one hand, we are offering both uh, retail and institutional solutions. The types of products that we are planning to offer will expand infinitely. Um, and so I think, Ooh. as DKLend, you know, we could we could expand. Um, horizontally or we could expand vertically across the realms of DeFi but what's really close to my heart is um, lending markets in general and I I just don't think they're optimized in the world of DeFi right now yeah yeah
0: definitely not Uh, that risk-free a risk-free rate um, being brought on chain in some way would be huge for sure yeah Yeah. any kind of uh, stable yield would be amazing are you planning on tapping into, like, because it seems like the LSDs are kind of like the gateway people are using to try and develop that? Are you guys going to tap into that in some way?
1: Yeah. I mean, I know the staked ETH narrative around uh, using it as collateral or using staked ETH. Um, I saw like what's happening with Engine Layer, the whole restaking program. Obviously, the whole narrative around LSDs is super hot right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for us on Starknet, um, I think I think down the line we definitely are very interested in supporting staked ETH. Um, but right now it's it's a question of what's actually being used within the Starknet ecosystem. And I, I keep going back to that because um, it's all about use cases. It's not just about depositing funds on ZK Lend. If they plan to borrow, um, they need to use these funds somewhere. Yeah. And so I think as the narrative or as the use cases for DeFi on StarkNet develop, that's when we really can support um, additional assets. And products that we are thinking of um, incorporating or it's actually already on the roadmap include things like TVL locking. So users mm-hmm. would be able to lock their um, capital for a set amount of time, and they would be able to get boosted returns, uh, boosted yield in return. And that's really important because having predictability on our ca- uh, on your capital is, um, is, is important for any lending protocol so that we know there's enough liquidity at all times. Mm-hmm. But the second part of it is um, we are also planning to implement something called isolated markets. And in isolated markets, we want to support ecosystem tokens like I don't know the Jedi Swap token down the line or the Starknet token down the line. We want to offer composability to our users so that they can deposit these tokens and borrow something else. Um, but again, these are um, these are things that um, do require. Um, a bit more development within the network before we're able to proceed. And so that's part of growing alongside StarkNet. Um, We're not able to jump the gun um, because we do need to rewrite all our code base in Cairo 1 as all protocols do at this point in time. Um, But once that kind of big barrier is is kind of through, um, that's when we can really start adding new features and inviting new protocols to build on top of us.
0: Very cool. Interesting. All right. So, yeah. So again, the, the Cairo barrier comes up again, but it is kind of also the advantage. So it seems like a double-edged sword here. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of curious. It just occurred to me in this conversation. This isn't on our our, our plan thing or anything, but I was curious uh, when you're talking about um, under-collateralized lending. So under-collateralized retail lending, um, the dreaded credit score is an important part of that, right? Because it's how you assess the risk of, of the loan that you're issuing. Do you think that account abstraction would help facilitate that in some way? Or is that even like a feasible possibility? Uh, I mean, you brought it up, so I'm assuming you think it's, it's possible to build it on the blockchain. But I'm kind of curious as to how you think we could get there. Because there's a lot of conflicting, uh, I guess, blockchain ethos with the idea as well of having like a you know, credit score tied to your wallet.
1: Yeah. Um, I think account drafting could be a part of it, but I think the most obvious use case is on actually ZK uh, privacy solutions. So mm-hmm. privacy solutions could involve, um, you know, giving privacy to your transactions, right? So no one knows actually how much you're buying or how much you're selling and things like that. But privacy could also come in the form of identity. And what that means is um, if I have a ZK identity badge um, that I that, I've, um, that I have in my wallet, um, this could mean that I've gone through a verification process to show that I'm a legitimate person, um, mm-hmm. I'm not laundering funds, and yeah. I'm verifying this information without giving away this information to the protocol that I'm interacting with. So I think the privacy part is probably a little bit more relevant when it comes to under collateralized lending, but that's not to say account abstraction can't also be the case because um, it it really opens up a world of possibilities. I know we talked about uh, subsidized fees, we talked about social recovery, but with account abstraction, you can basically configure your wallet however you want. Um, And this might be a little bit far-fetched, but who knows, I might be able to link my wallet, like my, let's just say like sub wallet, with a main wallet that has Mm -hmm. a bunch of other funds. And so if, let's just say I were to default on, a loan that is under collateralized. Um, maybe my wallet was programmed in a way that allows um, for confiscation of certain funds elsewhere. Um, yeah. So I, I think the realm of account abstraction is is humongous. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's a question of when we see these use cases getting implemented.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair point that I kind of like lumped in the private in my own mind, I'd kind of paired privacy with account abstraction the same way. But that it's kind of unsavory but yeah that kind of confiscation of, of funds is, is is necessary for some kind of risk <laughs> mitigation in lending but yeah i mean th- that's definitely something i've always been fascinated about uh, because it's kind of like for me this is, i'm getting very off track you're very philosophical not quite tied directly to starknet but a big problem with the blockchain is kind of how abstracted it is from a lot of direct value interaction in the real world but the implementation of those kinds of under collateralized loans really opens the door for a lot of people in terms of ways they can leverage blockchain tech to, to conduct their daily lives. You know, if I could buy my car, you know, with, with a loan I got off of, of ZK Lend, that'd be kind of great, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, cool. I mean, we're, we're kind of at the hour mark here. Um, let's see, I don't think we have any questions in the chat. I think most people are driving on their way to work right now, <laughs> at least in my time zone. But um, do you guys have anything else you'd like to kind of cover or plug or anything else you're really looking forward to on StarkNet before we kind of wrap this up? I'll throw it to you, Rohit, give you a chance.
2: Yeah, sure. Like the only thing I will say is uh, just explore StarkNet. (laughs) StarkNet is strange. Uh, You'll know the meaning of this line when you will explore the StarkNet, Uh, but you'll have fun. Uh, It's as, as... Jane mentioned in the starting of the uh, of the session, like uh, Starknet has been able to uh, attract this very different kind of builders or people who who like to push things beyond like where it is today, and that's that's because of multiple reasons. Like uh, it's because of Cairo, for an example, it, it attracts the devs who don't know what they are getting into but they want to play around and they want to push the boundaries of it. And as a result, they end up attracting even more different kind of people, maybe non-programmers who do things in a different kind of way, who who want to, who understand the, the core philosophies of why, like at the end of the day, we are doing this and are ready to push uh, the boundaries to achieve uh, all, all those mission and, and, and the goal of all web three. Fantastic.
0: Any any closing remarks from you, Jane? Anything else you want to plug or or put in people's minds before we sign off?
1: Yeah, I just want to plug zero point twelve. Um, <laughs> okay. I think right now there's um, there are like I'm not gonna lie, there are definitely sort of frustrations around users on the network, um, and I think the the key message here is just uh, patience. Obviously, Starknet is not built for the short term. Um, the team has a very long time horizon that comes along with it. Um, and I think 0.12 will really be able to illustrate some of the impact or some of the potential that the Starkware team has been talking around about all along. Um, and hopefully this will bring about kind of an explosion of new protocols coming on and user activity across the board. So I think, um, Rohit would probably agree with me when I say this, but, you know, Jedi Swap and ZK Land, you know, we've been building since the very beginning, um, of, of, this whole, you know, network growth since late 2021. And I think we're very ready to capture a lot of this user flow and usage um, when, the nar- when the narrative around StarkNet really takes off.
0: Fantastic. I like that. All right. Awesome. I want to thank you both again. Thank you, Rohit. Thank you, Jane. And, um, you know, I really appreciate this conversation. Now I've got a much more clear image of, 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 starknet and its future in my mind i'm seeing it more as the frontier now you got the bold the brave the kind of crazy people building on there using cairo and i love it so i urge everyone who's listening watching to go check it out go check out jedi swap go check out zk lend thank you again grandmaster rohit jane um yeah i think
1: uh
0: adios <laughs> i guess we'll see you guys later
2: thanks and for watching
0: well. to be here Oh, awesome. Thank you so much.